the Sunday Sermons Podcast. As always, we're so thankful that every single one of you is here this morning. Those of you that are joining us online, we're thankful for you and count you as here. But it's fun to see this many people here, even on a Sunday when we've got 87 people at TCTC. And um, last week was so packed. It's nice to see this many people. And here's why. It's not just about numbers. Numbers don't really matter that much, honestly. What matters to me is I see each one of you have made it a priority to connect with God and with other believers this morning. And on top of that, thank you. We notice that you've chosen to do that here. You've given us an opportunity to worship with you and to commune with you, to give alongside of you, to take a journey through the scriptures with the hope that we'll be changed. We'll become more fully devoted, more fully equipped followers of Jesus together. So thank you. Thank you for being here this morning. Today we begin a brand new series. It's called Alelon. That's a Greek word, and I'd like for you to be able to say it with me. It's pretty easy to say, actually. Uh, the Greek letters look like that, uh, but it sounds like Alelon, and you just say it. Let it roll off your tongue. Just say it as one word. Let's try it together. Alelon. Hey, that's really good. You guys are great. That, just one more time. Just I want this to stick every time the rest of your life after this series. I hope as you read through the scriptures and you see phrases like one another or each other that you remember what alelon means. So let's say it one more time. Alelon. See, alelon is just one word. Uh, in English, it's always translated at least with two words. Maybe one another, maybe each other, maybe a couple other variations. But it's even deeper than that. It implies a sense of belonging, a sense of identity. Alelon means all the parts within a whole. It's kind of like the band here when we're practicing, when we're playing. You guys can all hear. You're all listening to the music and singing along. But we're listening in a different way. We're listening to each other, trying to make sure that we stay in sync with each other. There's something going on where there's parts of a whole working together. If you've ever been on a sports team or you've ever done anything that just requires teamwork at all, there's a different level of attention, a different level of relating to one another because you're parts of a whole. If you have a relationship, a friendship, a family, you're part of a small group, that's what it's talking about. And when the scriptures talk about God's family, there's some very specific teaching that applies just to how we treat How we treat each other, the other parts of the family. There's also many, many wonderful passages, and we'll hit on those as well in the next several weeks, about how all of us collectively treat the rest of the world, how we represent Christ to the world. But a huge part of how we do that is how we treat each other, how we treat one another, how we treat all the other parts of the body of Christ, all the other siblings in the family of God. How we treat, say it with me, Alelon. One of the symbols that God seems to love a lot is circles, expanding circles. If you just drop a rock into water, have you ever seen it? It's so beautiful, it just spreads all out. It, it, we need gadgets to be able to see sound and vibrations, but once we can see them, sure enough, it's expanding circles. 
When Jesus gave the Great Commission, specifically the version that's in Acts chapter 1, he said, start in Jerusalem and then go to Judea and then to Samaria and then finally to the ends of the earth. And the way he set up relationships is at the core of it is just you and God, but then there's you and your family, you and your fellow Christians. And then together we reach out to the world. And this is God's vision. This is how this works. This is what Paul was talking about in Galatians 6.10 when he says, Therefore, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. And it's not that we don't treat everybody else well. It's that there's a special thing that we're doing together because we're part of his body. Hey, there was an amen. Let's go. Let's go. We get this. So I'd love for you to say this out loud with me, if you will. Uh, let's, this is going to be a true statement. It is a true statement. We're hoping it gets more true and more true as we go. Let's say this together. We speak truth to one another. In, in Greek, that one another is a lay loan. Let's say it one more time. We speak truth to one another. And this, of course, means we don't tell each other lies. We're honest with each other. But the other aspect, the main aspect, the core aspect of this that all the other circles come out of is that we speak the truth to one another. We remind ourselves consistently, remind one another consistently what is real and unchanging and timeless. The the real truths of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we remind each other of that, how we treat each other, and also through the words we say, the songs we sing, every time we celebrate communion, all of the different things that we do together, we're reminding each other of the truth. But of course, it does mean don't lie either. In fact, in Colossians, Paul just says it out loud, using that word elelon, do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. See, that's, that's the core idea here is we are representing God. He set up marriage, that little triangle of a man and a woman and God. He set up the family. He set up the church. All the relationships he ordained paint a picture of the Trinity, paint a picture of how he dreamed all relationships should work. And when we have God and the church and everybody else, it's that same picture. It's just one more circle out. But we've got to get our part right. In Hebrews 6, it says, because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, he confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. Let's pause there for a second. Did you know that there's one thing that's impossible for God? He can't lie. And that's because he is the truth. He, he is the ultimate truth. You and I might misunderstand some things about him. We might not get everything about him, but whatever God is, he is the truth. He can't lie. Everything else that's true is true because it somehow harmonizes with what is actually true. 
God himself. God did this so that two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. We who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. What a great phrase to describe a lay the people of God, each other, this, the parts of the whole. We are the ones who have fled from all the other lies and have embraced the truth, embraced the hope that he has offered us. And because we have, Paul says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. One of the passages you're going to hear several times over the next several weeks is Ephesians 4. There's a huge concentration of that word alone in this passage. Paul is very, very clearly outlining in that chapter, this is exactly what it looks like to live as a Christian and live as Christians together. It starts out this way. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. In other words, make sure you actually do this thing that Jesus has made possible. Make sure you actually treat each other the way he told you to treat each other. That you don't do the stuff that he told you not to do. In that passage, he says, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, the Holy Spirit didn't just give us the gifts of leadership, even the leaders that we have. The whole thing is the purpose is so that the whole body does God's work. All of us working together as a unit, we all work together. That's why we even have leaders in the church. Ephesians 4 continues, then... He says, when we all are motivated, when we all are mobilized, when we all are doing God's work together as a unit, Paul says, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Because we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. We'll know the truth, not just knowledge, but we'll know the one who is the truth. And we'll experience it because we're actually living it out. And we know, we get it. The military understands this. Any successful military there's ever been in any country, anywhere in America is one of those. They have codes, they have schedules, they have uniforms that might not make sense to all the civilians, but there's so many reasons why they have all those things in place. If you're not a civilian, if you're part of the armed forces, you look at the world differently. And I know that works for all of the branches of the military. I know for a fact it does for Marines because literally every Marine I've ever known personally always has said this to me. Once a Marine, always a Marine. Okay? And it, it, it just changes you. They're always part of that group. They look at the world differently than everybody else. And this is God's dream for us, that as we treat each other the way he says, I need you to do this to one another, to each other. 
And as we refuse to do these other things, like don't lie to one another, we go, we, we just don't. That doesn't happen anymore. Eventually, you just know, people are going to know, oh, you're one of the Jesus people, right? You're, you're a Christian. You're a Christ follower. I get it. I get it. Because I can tell you do these things and you don't do these things to each other. And then together, you guys somehow move as a unit in ways that I've never seen other humans team up. And you're showing your love to everybody collectively. I like that. I love that. I want to be part of that. Paul continues. Instead, instead of lying, instead of being tossed back and forth by the waves, instead of being fooled by all the alternate truth claims that there are in the world, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its Last week, a lot of you guys were here and we talked about the concept of a paradigm, your worldview, the way you see everything, what you focus on, what you actually see, and also how you interpret it, how you understand it, the way you see this. And what happens is when there's a paradigm shift, when your worldview changes, everything else changes automatically. If we all thought right this minute, we really believed that this building was on fire, our behavior would change dramatically, wouldn't it? We would bust it out of here. We'd be noticed, running out through all the exits. We'd be getting outside. If you really believe it's not on fire, and I'd like to reassure you that it's not this morning, you're okay. We're very comfortable just hanging out for a little bit longer. We're all right. But even if there wasn't a fire, if you believed it was on fire, you'd be like, ah, running out, right? Because we act on what we believe. We act on how we see the world. And when our paradigm shifts that we are part of a unit, our job on this planet is to represent the love of God. The way I treat other Christians is not just a list of things I've got to somehow memorize. This is who I am. This is what I do. This is not what I do. When we start realizing that together we are painting a picture for the rest of the world. Together we are honoring God. We are making Jesus' dreams come true. That changes everything. That changes everything about how we live and why. Paul continues, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Just want to highlight that word ignorance. Ignorance does not mean dumb or unable to learn. Ignorance means you just don't know that thing. Okay? That's not an insult to people who don't know the truth. That's just saying they don't know the truth. Here's what, here's two words, two more words I'd love to highlight. We'll come back to this several times in the next couple of weeks. But I'll just read this verse first and then we'll unpack it. He says, having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. And it sounds really judgmental, but he's not judging anybody. He's not condemning anybody. He's just explaining what happens. If we understand those two words, it might help. So let me try. 
Sensitivity can mean a lot of things in English, but in this case, what he's talking about is we're aware of what's actually going on. Have you ever been driving and all of a sudden you realize you're home and you don't actually remember getting there? That's scary, isn't it? Okay? And and somehow or another you made it, somehow or another, whether it was angels or... I don't know, but you're completely on autopilot, but you got there. That is the opposite of sensitivity. Okay? Sensitivity is where you're aware of what's going on. You're aware of what you're doing, where you're going, you're paying attention, you're aware of the other cars around you, you're aware of the road, the weather, like you're, you're, you're fully engaged. That's sensitivity. Sensuality is where we're just obsessed with what our own senses tell us. And our ultimate judge of truth becomes simply whatever feels good, looks good, smells good, tastes good. That's, that's it. That's all that matters. So if we come to the scriptures and we go, ah, I don't know. That just doesn't feel right in my gut. We judge the scriptures based on our gut. Does that make any kind of sense to you? It doesn't to me. And here's why. I have factual evidence. I don't have time to tell you all the stories, but I know for a fact that my heart is an idiot. The last thing, the last person that I want to follow through my life is my heart or my gut. Because I've been wrong so many times. I have loved this thing and then hated that thing later. And vice versa. I have thought this is what would be the best thing that could ever happen. And I've been wrong. I've trusted people and found out I really can't trust them. I've not even known somebody. And then as I got to know them, realized I could trust them with my life. My heart, my gut knows nothing. I've got to have something bigger than me. And so sensuality just traps us. Sensuality traps us in what makes sense, what to me, what, what my eyes like, what my nose likes, my tongue likes, my fingers like. It just doesn't, that's not really a great way to evaluate all truth in the world or to handle all relationships. Paul goes on. That, however, is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Something I like to remind myself sometimes is that sometimes my stupid heart actually straight up deceives me. It's actually lying to me. He says, we, 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 we put all that away to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on a new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. But thank God, he doesn't expect us to be able to do all of that on our own. This cord here is um, just a little simple extension cord. We take for granted these days that you can take a little plug like this and stick it into just about any set of holes in just about any wall you see anywhere and there's going to be electricity available. We take that really for granted. This little plug plugs into this thing too. How much good is that going to do me? Not at all. 
If I try to get my truth, if I try to get my power, my ability to live out the teachings of Christ, my ability to treat one another the way he wants them to be treated and them to treat me, I try to rely on myself, it's going to look like this. But if I plug into the real power source, I got a chance. That's the second huge idea that we're looking at this morning about what the scriptures tell us specifically about how to treat a lay loan. Let's say this together. We pray for one another. One more time. We pray for one another. When we pray the way that Jesus taught us to pray, we connect with not only his plans for us, but also the power to live those plans out. And the way he taught us to pray is so clear. Paul also makes it clear. In 2 Thessalonians, here's one thing he prays about. He says, we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because your faith is growing more and more. And the love all of you have for Alelong is increasing. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God might make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness, your every deed prompted by faith. What a beautiful prayer. By the way, all of these are always in the study guide here. The dream is always that you take this home and walk back through it on your own or with a small group or both. You, you, you let, let the Holy Spirit have another chance to hammer this in. But I would also like to add something else to that today. Would you consider actually praying some of these prayers and putting a person's name in it? For example, what if it said like this? I'm going to say my wife, Kimberly's name. Okay. With this in mind, I constantly pray for Kimberly. That God will make her worthy of his calling. By his power, he will bring to fruition her every desire for goodness and every deed prompted by faith. What if we prayed that for each other? What if we prayed that for our families, for our children, for our friends, for the people in the church, for our leaders? What if we prayed that constantly? Does that sound like a prayer that God would answer? It does to me. But Jesus also taught us about praying not just by what he said, but what he did. He showed us by example that prayer was a daily reconnection with God, a daily submission to him, a daily connection, not only with what he wanted, his direction, but with the power to live it out. And Jesus prayed so specifically about so many things. One of the prayers that I love is in Luke 22. He just mentions this prayer to Peter. And this is right before he knows that Peter is going to betray him. He not, not betray him, but deny him. I'm sorry, the, the betray is Judas. I get it. But he knows what Peter's going to do. But listen what he tells him. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And he knows it's going to falter. He knows it's going to mess up, but he's praying that that won't be the end of the story. He's praying that his faith won't completely fail. I prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. In other words, when you come back from this thing that's about to happen, 
The way you're going to show me that you love me is by how you treat the rest of these people. And if you looked at the end of the Gospel of John, you see that actually happen. Jesus asked him three times, do you love me? And each time he says, yes. And he says, then feed my sheep. How we treat others, especially the kingdom of God, and then together how we reach out and treat the rest of the world, that is how we show our love for Christ best. Romans 15, Paul says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. We actually play a real part in each other's lives when we do this. I love this prayer. He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. What if we prayed this for Morrison Hill? What about if we prayed this for specific groups or for specific people, our children, our families, our friends. James says, therefore confess your sins to Elalon and pray for Elalon so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. See, there's, there's an intimacy that happens when we pray for one another, when we commit to one another, when we see each other as parts of a cohesive whole, that we are doing life together, that we all share a purpose. We share the head. We're all parts of a body. We share a father. We're all children in the same family. And how we treat each other matters more than anything else. When we live that way, when we get that, this intimacy happens where we can confess what we're struggling with. We can deal with it together. We can pray for healing and not just physical healing, but restoration of relationships, restoration of our own hearts and souls and minds. These days, almost everybody carries around a little gadget like this. Most people don't even call them cell phones anymore. They just call them phones. You know what I'm saying? Because it's just, this is, this is it, okay? They're, the old phones don't even hardly exist anymore. But here's the thing. We think that they connect us to each other better. They actually disconnect us a lot. That's a whole other thing, okay? There's two things I'd love for you to think of next time. When you, today when you leave and you check your phone... And um, because most people at least have it shut off during this service. (laughs) But when when you leave today, you check your phone, I'd love for you to remember two things. One is these things stop working unless they, every single day, you plug them back into the wall. You plug them back in and they get power again. That's how prayer works. That's how spending time together works. That's how studying God's word works. 
But we have to keep resetting. But the other thing I'd love for you to notice is next time you're doom scrolling or whatever else, I'm going to show you. This is a really cool thing. Watch what you can do with this. It's amazing. It's so easy. It feels so hard, but it's so easy. I would recommend to every single person that you take a fast from your phone, at least for a couple hours every day. And let yourself actually connect with your own heart, your own soul, your own mind a little better. Connect with the other people in the room. Have the ringer off. You just won't, I promise you, you won't even know it's ringing. (laughs) Just shut it off for a while. And then after an hour or so, come back and check it. And then you can answer all those messages and all those people are still going to be in your life. But you've got some time to pray. You've got some time to just connect with the people in the room. As we start to wrap up, there's one more big idea and then we're going to apply all of this one more time. I hope as tangibly as possible in your life. But let's say this together. We harmonize with one another. We work together. We, we all play different parts, but we are singing the same song. We are doing the same thing. I, I, I used to, as a kid, I always wondered, I, it, it bothered me that the guy waving sticks was the only person on the cover of the albums that had a whole orchestra. I was like, he's not even playing anything. <laughs> Who even cares about the guy that waves sticks? I just didn't understand. But <clears throat> if there, it's not for the guy waving the sticks... They, they can't all stay in sync. They can't harmonize. But if not for everybody playing the instruments, the guy waving sticks makes no beautiful music at all. That's how leadership works. That's how the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts and these leaders and helps us. But we're the ones, the whole body, the entire family, the entire group, the entire band that plays God's song. We all have to play together. We harmonize with one another. Paul says, we submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. We're listening to God and we're listening to each other all at the same time. He says this so creatively. This is one of those places. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. And just to be clear, what that means is literally the psalms in the Bible. Hymns are songs that tell the truth, speak the truth. As you sing that song, as you say those words, you're reminding yourself and everybody else around you what is true, what is always true. And spiritual songs are the ones where it's like one of my favorite old school Choruses is, I love you, Lord. You remember that one? I love you, Lord, and I lift my... There's not a lot of theological truth in that one, but you pray that to God. It's a spiritual experience. You're telling God how much you love him. When we do this, he says, sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We speak the truth. We pray the truth. We harmonize with each other. We literally sing the truth. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. And above all, love each other deeply. Love a alone deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. 
Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Brothers and sisters, I got to tell you, overall, I'm just always amazed at how good of a job Morrison Hill does. This is not a message of condemnation that you've never heard this and you're being so mean to each other. That's not what this is about. But I believe, I know that we have the potential to absolutely nail this. We could absolutely get this done. We could 100% be the kind of body that people go, oh, that's what church is supposed to look like. Oh, that's what it means to love one another. Oh, we could do that. We already do. I just think we could do it even better. And that's what the next several weeks are going to be about. So let's say this together. Let's speak this real. and Let's try and apply this as tangibly as possible. Say this with me. We speak truth to one another. I'd love for you to fill in the blanks that are in that, that study guide. And if you don't have it open, that's fine. But it literally says, I will speak truth to blank by blank. In other words, I'm going to speak truth to Frank Hill. He just happens to be there. Okay, so I'm just picking on Frank. And I'm going to speak truth to Frank by telling him this thing or by singing this song to him or whatever. I'm going to be very specific. I'm going to speak truth to Frank this way. Love for you to find and, and try it. Even if it's just one thing this week. Somebody else within the body of Christ, you're going to speak the truth to them in love. And you pick out exactly how you're going to do that. Second thing, let's say this together. We pray for one another. I'd love for you to write down a name, somebody you're going to pray for, and a time and a place and what you're going to pray for them. Maybe one of those passages from Ephesians that I read earlier. But but put their name in that blank. You're going to pray for those People, I'm going to pray for this person by praying Ephesians 3 over them. Get really specific. We're going to do this. The third one, let's say it together again. We harmonize with one another. And and, and say, I, I will harmonize with this person by doing this. If you have a plan, if you write it down, you're much more likely to actually getting it done. I'd love for you to try this because this is who we are. How many have ever flown in a big jet? It's amazing, isn't it? If you just think about it, there's tons and tons of metal and plastic and glass and who knows what and carrying all these people and just day after day all over the world now, they just do it all the time. They just fly through the air. But they're made for the world. Uh, do you remember not too long ago, uh, there was somebody who actually landed on the highway in a small plane? Okay. It didn't belong. It didn't work well. As cool as airplanes are up in the air, they don't work so great on the interstate. Right? And uh, there's a lot of trains still around, and it amazes me. Every time I'm sitting there at a train, I always am just amazed that these smooth wheels can get as much traction as they get. And that somehow or another, that much unimaginable weight gets transported day after day everywhere. Have you ever seen a, a train car off of the tracks? Or a derailed train in some sort of horrific wreck? Man, you talk about useless. You talk about just a big problem. They're designed to be on the tracks. 
And brothers and sisters, that's where I'd love for us to wrap up today is this. Just remember these ideas about how to treat a lay loan, how to treat the other people in the body of Christ. These aren't just noble ideas that God wants us to put on mugs and go, yeah, that's a, that would be nice if we could do that. Wouldn't it be great? Of course, that's God's ideal. That's really, that's cool. I, I wish churches were really like that. I wish my family could be like that. That's not his dream. His dream is that we actually do that. And we've got to see these are moral boundaries. This is the track that he's laid for us. And if we stay on that track, that's real freedom. Just like a train can go all day long, both directions. Power with power and accomplish amazing things. You get it off the track, it's useless. If we're plugged into Jesus, we got all kinds of stuff. We plug into ourselves and that's it. We just got a mess. I promise you, we can do this. We could 100% this. And that's the dream that I know God has for us in this season. To truly experience the love that he designed us to have for each other. And then collectively share that with the rest of the world. Whatever you need to do this morning to head in that direction. Whether it's to give your life to Jesus, to join our church ask for prayer, whatever it is, I would love for you to make that as we stand and as we sing one more song together. This one is a modern hymn. It's not one of the old hymns that you'll find in hymn books, but it's one of those songs that just speaks truth. And we're gonna sing and harmonize together these truths and we're gonna say it. And if God asks you to respond to it, if you would just come forward and uh, where's my dad? Dad, if you could come forward, make sure that if anybody responds, somebody's there because I'm in the band today. God bless you. Let's respond to the truth by doing something about it.